It is America's college football rivalry game. Intersectional rivalry, you know, they're not up the street. You know, they're across the country. From SoCal to South Bend, they don't get much bigger than this. That's one of the best rivalries in, you know, in all sports. It's the Irish and the Trojans. Everyone's amped up for this week, obviously. But I think just coming from two schools with a lot of tradition, uh, a lot of heart, a lot of passion. It's not always a friendly rivalry either. You know, obviously when we get on the field, it's a lot of bad blood, but it's fun out there and it's a rivalry you got to enjoy. Tonight, it's Notre Dame versus USC for the 74th straight season. And it's under the lights at Notre Dame Stadium. from the Redeemer Radio 95.7 studios in the shadows of the Golden Dome. This is Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. It's a balmy 36 degrees outside, a high of 52. Game time temperature in the upper 40s at 7.36 p.m. tonight. Perfect weather to welcome the men of Troy to South Bend. Tonight, it's the pageantry, the tradition, the 91st all-time meeting in a storied intersectional rivalry, the most storied in the country. Notre Dame versus USC under the lights this evening at Notre Dame Stadium. Welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. I'm Angel DiCarlo. My co-host Kevin Downey has returned after a couple shows off. And Kevin, the Irish uh, 4-1 easily handling Bowling Green 52-0 last week. They'll be on the bye next week. Michigan coming up in two weeks. And of course, tonight, they welcome in USC Trojans just three and two but they're coming off a bye and they certainly have uh, the talent to be able to pull off an upset tonight definitely i think it's still a, a usc team with tons of speed on the outside they're going to be able to match up all over and then also some uh, really good linemen they've had a little bit of hiccups at the quarterback position playing three different guys but um yeah usc is always going to be good and you're going to get their best game it's a great rivalry on tap on this morning's show, our focus on faith is is with Pocky Kelly, the wife of Notre Dame football coach Brian Kelly. Pocky, a two-time breast cancer survivor. She battled while raising three young children and while her husband was moving up the college coaching ranks. It's an inspiring conversation, and we will also talk about the pride she has in the Kelly Cares Foundation and the impact it's making on the Michiana community. Jafar Armstrong expected back today. We'll talk about the impact he could have, plus what can we expect from Ian Book and how do the hours stop USC's three incredible wide receivers? But let's let's start with this rivalry game. And what, when you think, Kevin, of Notre Dame versus USC, what comes to mind for you? God, it takes me back to my childhood, you know, fall uh, weather, playing catch and tackle football with my little brother in the backyard. It's, uh, you know, it just reminds me of one of the coolest things about being able to grow up and live in South Bend, Indiana. I mean, this is college football at its finest. And then, of course, uh, USC, <laughs> something so polar opposite, right? L.A. And, and just far away and sunshine. But I think it's awesome. Uh, do you think the weather can play a factor a little bit tonight? 
totally. When I was at Costco yesterday and I was getting a chill, I thought, oh, that's going to be good for those USC boys from the sunshine. I'm not going to be ready for that. Uh, certainly not. Brian Kelly, 6-3 versus USC in his tenure at Notre Dame. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this is the 91st meeting between the two sides. They first started playing in 1926. The only stoppage in the series because of World War II, 74 straight meetings since 1946. Irish tight end Cole Komet, Notre Dame football coach Brian Kelly asked this week about the rivalry game. Komet talking about watching it before he came to Notre Dame. Coach Kelly reflecting back on his very first memories of this Notre Dame USC battle. Yeah, I mean it was a, it's a huge game. I mean it's I mean it's up there with you know the Ohio State Michigan's and you know USC Notre Dame like the two really big uh, college football rivalries that are in in, in, in the sport right now. So. Uh, yeah, definitely a game I'd always watch. I mean, obviously the Bush push is one that always goes down. So, you know, there's that one. And, uh, you know, just like that's kind of one just sticks out. But, uh, you know, there's, there's always been great games every year when they, when Notre Dame and USC face off. John Robinson on the sideline and uh, and, and era, uh, Parsegian. Uh, and it would be from, from my perspective, um, just the pageantry of the game, you know, as it's played on TV and growing up in Massachusetts, it was one of those games that you wanted to watch on TV because it was played up as such a big game. That is Brian Kelly before him, Cole Komet, talking about their memories of Notre Dame USC. I thought it was interesting that Komet mentioned uh, the Bush push. I didn't even follow up on asking this, which I should have. I didn't think about it at the time. Komet would have only been like five years old. <laughs> it you know, brings everybody back to childhood, I, huh? I, I wouldn't have. Uh, so I don't know if he actually watched it and that's like his first memory or if it's like one of those over time you you learn about it, you watch all the highlights, yep. it feels like you watched it. But at this point, I'm forgetting that that game's now 15 years old at this point, pr- pretty much. The guys on the team now, really, there might only be a handful of guys that can remember that game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and again, I think it's so cool. What a rivalry and what a neat thing to uh, bring you back to your childhood. That's cool. Uh, Notre Dame has won the last two games, 24-17 last year, to book their ticket to the college football playoff. Absolutely uh demolished USC the last time the Trojans came to Notre Dame Stadium two years ago, 49-14. USC has not won in South Bend since 2011. All right, when Irish safety Alohi Gilman decided to leave Navy and transfer, guess what two schools were the ones that it came down to? Here's Alohi explaining. So Notre Dame and USC was actually my top two coming out when I was transferring. And, um, I was planning on taking an official visit after Notre Dame. I ended up not and committing here. But I think uh, both of them um, presented similar um, things that were, that were of interest of mine. But, you know, Notre Dame overall was a place that I felt comfortable with, a place that I was, um, could see myself in the future. Uh, I kind of matched my personality, who I was. And, you know, I kind of went with it and never looked back. Uh, from both sides, although we feel like we're different, I think we're very similar in ways, um, but which kind of makes the rivalry even more more sweet. So, you know, going into this whole process, everyone talks about, yeah, I remember when I was recruited, I went, went on my visit to USC, I remember when they this, that, whatever. So, you know, going into the week, there's a lot of excitement and, you know, everyone's just ready to go. 
You know, it's interesting. He says, you know, both sides are a little similar. I mean, the schools are very different. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, one's obviously it's cold a lot of the year. <laughs> the other, it's beautiful almost the entire year. And maybe, you know, the way the universities are run are completely different. One's yep. a public school, you know, one's a Catholic university. But, uh, you know, then you look at the players or and, the football program. Yeah. And, they, the, and the program. Certainly yep. there's the tradition. But then the players themselves, I mean, they're both. Both teams, often the players are recruited by both schools. Yep. And a lot of times it comes down to Notre Dame and USC. Yeah, even on the recruiting trail. So before the game even gets going. And thank goodness, number 11 chose uh, Notre Dame. He's my favorite player to watch. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, he's going to have his hands full tonight with this USC totally. passing attack. Uh, sophomore quarterback JT Daniels out for the season. Season-ending knee injury, knee injury in the first game. Junior Matt Fink played the last two games. That's because freshman Keaton Slovis was out with a concussion. Slovis back tonight. Kevin, he's completing 78% of his passes. That's that's pretty good. That's very good. But he has great wide receivers, too. You throw it anywhere around him, and they're going to make a play. Yeah, and then there's no question about that. Uh, Slovis, 60 of 77, five touchdowns, has thrown four interceptions. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, Notre Dame down Sean Crawford. Uh, at cornerback, now he's expected back for Michigan, but boy, could they use him tonight against USC with the with what the Trojans have at wide receiver. Yeah, I think that's the most that's the most intense matchup is going to be USC's really good wide receivers um, against again uh, two really good safeties for Notre Dame, but it's just going to put a lot of pressure on the whole defense. By the way, I said USC was a public school. That's that's incorrect. That's, <laughs> oh, they they are a private school. So I, nice. I I apologize to the Trojans fans who are sitting in their car <laughs> trying to warm up at the thirty six degree temperature outside. Unfathomable that I would call them such. So uh, there you go. Uh, all right, uh, USC has three of the best wide receivers in the country, and Michael Pittman, Tyler Vons, and Amon. Amon Ross St. Brown. Here's what Troy Pride, Alohi Gilman, and Brian Kelly had to say about USC's trio of receivers. Playmaking ability, speed, catch radius, um, intelligence, you know, route knowledge. I mean, they've played the positions for their entire life, so goodness gracious, they're a talented group. Yeah, they obviously a, uh, have a good core, good combo of those three guys. Um, played them last year, really good, really good players, um, have all the skills to to get after it, get high point the ball and run crispy routes. You know, the best wide receiving core um, that we'll see all year, uh, without question, and very, very talented group. And, and they, they complement each other extremely well. Um, you know, Pittman is uh, explosive, uh, gets down the field, big play receiver, um, catches everything uh, that is thrown his way. You know, Vaughn's obviously he's got great length as uh, a matchup issue. And then St. Brown in the slot is physical, competitive, um, does all the, the, the tough jobs as well. Uh, so just a very, very talented group. No question about that. And uh, they will challenge Notre Dame again. No Sean Crawford. Uh, obviously expect Troy Pride to step up. Uh, Tariq Bracey has been challenged quite a bit this year, and I feel like he's performed. He did very well in that Georgia game. But then the question is, who's going to be the third guy to cover these guys? And and I don't know the answer to that. Brian Kelly said this week, Dante Vaughn could play a lot. He's talking about 
redshirting the guy, and that that might mean this would be the final game he's playing. <sighs> it's just matchup issues. <clears throat> I mean, those three wide receivers are so good. It, it's going to have to be a combination of of the safeties, but then also nickel, dime corners. Because, um, again, the straight uh, linebackers lined up against them, especially like St. Brown in the slot, number eight. Uh, it's going to be tough. And then that reminds me of the same recruiting thing too, right? Because – yeah, St. Brown, brother of EQ, St. Brown, and uh, he very well could have been here. Uh, and mm-hmm. you know, the speculation at the time was he just did not want to have Brandon Wimbush being the one throwing the ball to him, and that's why he chose USC. A little weird how it works out that right yeah. now, you know, JT Daniels is hurt. Yeah, Slovis is playing well when he's been in, so you can't say anything against him. But certainly Ian Book is a more prolific thrower than Brandon Wimbush would have been for uh, Amon Ross, St. Brown. Uh, 6'1", 195 pounds, 24 yeah. catches this year, 238 yards receiving, three touchdowns. But again, in the slot is the dangerous part because I just don't know who the guy is that covers him. Um, and they're going to have to try different matchups. I mean, one matchup may not work all day. And, and he's not even the – he's very good. He's not the best. The problem is number six, yeah. uh, Michael Pittman. I mean, he is one of the best wide receivers in college football. Well, I, And he's going to stress the defense. Well, that, And that's the thing. It's like you, you can't double everyone. <laughs> well, and maybe that's the thing here, what they need. They yeah. need that defensive line True. to play as good as it can play because if they can get the pressure – and drop and drop some guys back yeah. and have more guys in coverage, that's going to help a lot. If they can't get the pressure that they need and they're going one-on-one on these guys, they're going to be in trouble because th- they need to play a lot, whatever you want, nickel, dime, whatever. <laughs> they got to play. They got to guard these guys. <laughs> they got to guard these guys. So they can't afford to be uh, bringing the house every time. Uh, so they need that front four to have its probably best game of the season, I think. Yeah, and the good thing with the D-line, um, again, it, Notre Dame's defense line came in the season with high expectations, but they keep getting uh, better and better, and with you know some of their uh, scheduling, they've gotten a chance to get a lot of people reps, so they're really deep, and they I think it, it will have to come from the pressure from the defensive line. Uh, things have to happen pretty quick because the linebackers matched up on the running back number seven. That's going to be pretty tough. But then again, now you have everybody spread out wide. The safeties have to help on those three wide receivers. So, yeah, it's going to have to be a team uh, a team uh, effort or group effort for sure. Pittman, 6'4", 220 pounds, 35 catches, 501 yards, four touchdowns, 100 yards per game. Said this week his team needs to, quote, embrace the suck. <laughs> That it's going to be cold, but it'll be fun when we're running up the score. Dangerous <laughs> comment, but out of all the players on USC, oh. that's the one guy that you might not be able to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you can, more power to Notre Dame. If they can make him eat those words, that's fantastic. But he can be the toughest guy to be able to make him eat his words. So maybe that's why he said it, because he could probably get away with it. Yeah, he can back it up. But hey, first frost came this morning, so we'll see. The suck is here for that young man. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler Vons is the other wide receiver. 6'2", 190 pounds, 31 catches, 414 yards receiving, two touchdowns, 83 yards per game. And again, who's going to cover Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot. Uh, will it be a cornerback? Will it be Alohi Gilman? Will it be Kyle Hamilton? 
will be Jeremiah Wusu Karmoa, the rover. I'm not sure. And like to your point, Kevin, it might be all of them needs to be in, in some form. I, I'm wondering, are we going to see Gilman, Jalen Elliott, Kyle Hamilton, basically all three playing starters minutes tonight? Well, they, they sure use that package a lot. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to help with matchups. But again, they're going to have to just vary it. And and that's a, a blitz package for uh, Notre Dame when those three are all together. Uh so they're not going to be able to rely on that either. It's going to have to be a mix. All right. Uh, Fiddler's Hearth in downtown South Bend is a great place to grab a drink, eat a great dinner, and listen to live music, a locally owned public house. Fiddler's Hearth has 24 beers on tap, so your options are plentiful. It's also family-friendly, and they have a great Sunday brunch from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., and they want to reward the loyal listeners of Redeemer Radio. Just mentioned you heard Fiddler's Hearth on Redeemer Radio to your server. You'll get 10% off your bill. So, you know, if you're not going to the game to tonight, you want to stop in at Fiddler's, uh, 10% off your bill if you mention Redeemer Radio, or you wake up tomorrow, need a good brunch, head on over there. That's Fiddler's Hearth on Main Street in downtown South Bend. Time for a timeout. Coming up later, Pocky Kelly is our guest on Focus on Faith. And when we return, Notre Dame should be getting Jafar Armstrong back today. How much could that help Ian Book on the offensive side of the ball? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays is back right after this. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and then stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed. It's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go to see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go to see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Be sure to join us Friday night at 6 p.m. for another edition of Michiana's High School Football Show, Tailgate Talk, presented by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. The sectional draw comes out tomorrow, so we wait to then decide what game we'll broadcast in our Tyrac Game of the Week next Friday. It'll either be Marion and Washington or St. Joe and Adams. Stay tuned to our at 95.7 Sports on Twitter and Redeemer Radio 95.7 Sports on Facebook for the announcement for what game we'll broadcast Friday night. Uh, we'll make that announcement coming up tomorrow night after the sectional draw is released. But, hey, that's tomorrow. That's next week. We got Notre Dame and USC coming up tonight under the lights at Notre Dame Stadium. Angel DiCarlo, Kevin Downey back with you here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Jafar Armstrong expected back today. Um, we've only seen him for a handful of plays. Kevin, what kind of impact can can he make for the Irish here, here in this game against USC? Well, hopefully he can bring some explosiveness to the running back position. Um, you know, Jameer does a good job, and I'm excited for Sebo Flemster. I know he's kind of a, a younger guy. I think that he shows some promise um, as well. But, yeah, going into the season, we're looking for some explosive plays from the running back position. Didn't know who would be able to bring it, and uh, I think Tony – I think uh, Jafar's our best best hope for that explosive play from that position. Yeah, Tony Jones is is a good, reliable mm-hmm. back as a, a as another option, 381 yards rushing. But you that next level, like you're saying, that explosiveness yeah. is, is what Jafar will hopefully be able to bring. Here's what Irish coach Brian Kelly had to say this week when asked what Jafar Armstrong's return could mean for the Irish against USC. 
Well, he's a dynamic player. He just hasn't played very much. Um, and, and I don't know that we can expect him to throw on a cape and, and play like Superman this weekend. He's, there's going to be a process of coming back, you know, especially at the running back position. You can't go from not playing for six weeks and, and then have a, a workload of, you know, 50 plays. Um, you know, if we could get... 20 plays out of them, that would be terrific. Brian, I, I know you guys are still kind of working your way through Jafar in terms of yeah. where he's at, but if he is able to, to play for you to some degree, what does he bring your offense that you're currently missing? Well, you know, he's, first of all, he's a, he's a, he was a trained wide receiver in high school. So, you know, we start with uh, really good uh, sense in the passing game, ball skills, route running. Um, the second element is um, he's explosive. And when I say explosive, it's the combination of speed and power. Um, he has top end speed as good as any of the backs. And he's over 220 pounds. Jafar Armstrong last year rushed for 383 yards and seven touchdowns. Also caught 14 passes. Missed a part of last season, too, because of injury. And that's kind of been his issue has been being able to stay healthy on the field. Um, Tony Jones Jr., 381 yards rushing already this year, 83 yards per game, four touchdown runs. Um, I feel like Tony Jones has picked up his game. Mm -hmm. You know, Virginia last week, I mean, I know Bowling Green, there's only so much you can say, but he certainly played very well against Virginia. So I, I think that's a, a, a positive. And now you're starting to see all the pieces finally coming. Remember, <laughs> Beginning of the year when people are like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with Ian Buck? Mm -hmm. Well, he, he he didn't have, uh, you know, Jafar Armstrong, or at least he had him for the first play or two. Yep. And then all of a sudden you threw probably half the game plan out the window against Louisville. Uh, you know, he didn't have Cole Komet, and we saw how much of a difference that Huge kid impact. is. Yep. And, and then he didn't have Michael Young for a while, who, who's just kind of getting back in there. Now Ian Buck's got all those weapons again. And I think we're probably going to start seeing Ian Book looking more like Ian Book again, I would think. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, they have a great course, a great offensive line. I think Ian Book is really good. Uh, Cole Komet, that tight end position, that's just awesome. And then, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the big question has been the people around him and I think, again, this year, just like last year, that you've seen growth and improvement uh, as a team and especially in the offensive side younger players, inexperienced players stepping up and getting better. So, yeah, I expect a lot of uh, Ian tonight. Ian Book, five touchdown passes last week versus Bowling Green. Uh, Book talked about his progress immediately following the win. It's something I'm, I'm focusing on, you know, every week. Uh, going through all my progressions, staying in the pocket, delivering the ball, getting the ball to the playmakers. So uh, it was a great week to do that. I got to do it every week. Ian, to your right, you certainly have had plenty of success before, but does a game like this change your confidence level at all moving forward for this season? Um, I don't think it changed anything. I'm as confident, I think, as, as you can get in, in this offense. I know what we can do. I think everyone on the offense knows, you know, kind of, you know, where our bar is at and what we can achieve. And um, it's about us, you know, believing in each other, playing for each other, and focusing on the details going out there every single day and doing it. All right. I think the key, though, is now he's got to step up. Um, yes, he's got 13 pa touchdown passes. Ten of those came against New Mexico and Bowling Green. Uh, 
Um, So this is a game where they need him because we don't know what's going to happen on the other side of the ball with how much USC is going to be able to get um, some passing touchdowns going. So they need Ian Book to play um, at his top game. (laughs) Yeah, they they really do. I mean, and and if he doesn't, they they could be in trouble. I'm not saying that they will be in trouble. He could play mediocre tonight and Notre Dame could be good enough to win this game. But if USC plays its very best, mm-hmm. then Ian Book does need to play his best for Notre Dame to get the win. He did not do that against USC last year. He he struggled in that game. They brought those pressures at him, yeah. and he, he struggled against USC's defense last year. And then he stepped up late in the game. He helped them win the game. But I think... I think he's going to be one of the most critical components. What version are we getting? And I think having those weapons, again, should be a, a, a big boost for him tonight. Well, and he's an interesting player. If you watch him, it seems to me like he needs some form of a wake-up call <laughs> sometime during a game. So like you said last year, it was later a couple games this year. It was either the second quarter, third quarter, first quarter. But yeah, there needs to be some play where something changes and he just clicks it on and we need him on tonight early because I think it'll help uh, make sure that the Irish get it off to a great start, which is going to be critical. One of the guys who's been struggling this year is Chris Fink. 10 catches, 137 yards. Here's what Fink had to say about his own season when asked about it this week. I've, uh, I've had some disappointments and personal disappointments. I think that's probably obvious if you've watched. Um, but, you know, it's my last, my last season here, so no time to uh, really think about that in terms of dwelling on it, more so just learning on it. And I'm just, you know, relaxing and enjoying it. Um, like I said, this being my last season, just just playing football and having fun. Well, I've always had expectations for myself, no matter what anybody else has set for me. Um, but, you know, obviously it's frustrating when you don't meet your own expectations. And um, like I said, just getting through it is just realizing how lucky I am to be here and playing football and how much I love my teammates my coaches and just playing for this university and um, just keeping that that in the back of my mind. All right. Fink was the number two option behind Chase Claypool for a good portion of the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Now, with Komet back, Young back, Armstrong back, he slides into more maybe third, fourth, fifth option. And, and that's where he may become uh, dangerous again, right? Because they, they they can't key on him. They got to worry about all these other weapons, yeah. and then that might open things up for Chris Fink in, in a game like this. Well, in a big rivalry, you want your senior leaders to step up. I mean, <laughs> we're cheering for this guy, right? He is the the ultimate underdog, great young man. Uh, but he made some big plays last year too. So sure. hopefully, he can make some big plays again uh, tonight. Our title sponsor for Irish Sports Saturdays is Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Did you know that Notre Dame Federal Credit Union provides financial assistance to help our members at participating Catholic schools? To find out the details, ask your local Catholic school principal. Notre Dame FCU, you already share values. Why not share in our benefits? All right, coming up next, our sit-down conversation with Pocky Kelly. You won't want to miss this. A 20-minute chat about her incredible journey to beating cancer twice while raising three young kids and her husband ascending as a major college football coach. She explains it next in Focus on Faith on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays.
We know you like football. So do we. We're TireRack.com, and this is our version of a two-minute drill, except it's only 30 seconds. TireRack.com has an enormous selection of tires. Not sure which ones to buy? Use our tire decision guide to find the right tires for your vehicle and the way you drive. Then get them shipped fast and free on all orders over $50. Shipping is in as little as one day. Free. TireRack.com ships to independent, recommended installers. TireRack.com. The way tire buying should be. Touchdown! I want to thank Tire Rack for being the such great supporters of Redeemer Radio. The folks at Tire Rack underwrite our internship program with high school students from Marion and St. Joe. The students are getting college-level internship experience, thanks in large part to the generosity of Tire Rack. More tires, great prices. Visit TireRack.com. Angel DiCarlo, Kevin Downey back with you here as we get you set for Notre Dame and USC. Coming up tonight at 7.36 p.m. at Notre Dame Stadium. And time now for Focus on Faith. Kevin and uh, always a segment. Uh, I know we've we've had some some great interviews this year with you know Lou Holtz, Father Pete McCormick uh, was on last week. Chris Fink was one of our guests, and uh, you know I'm very interested in everyone hearing this conversation with Pocky Kelly, the wife of the Notre Dame football coach. Well, and the coach's wife is has a special place in heaven. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well, you know, I mean, I know. how important you, you guys have. You uh, need that support system eight, for sure. Eight kids and counting. So, uh, you know, the coach's wife is always uh, it, it, very integral in, in making things work out. For sure, for sure, and I, especially you know, obviously at the highest levels. But again, they climb the ranks, um, <laughs> and I'm sure uh, Brian Kelly. And some of the stress that he goes through could be an interesting person to to uh, live with. So it's pretty interesting. I'm excited. All right. Pocky Kelly beat cancer the day before her husband, Brian, became the head coach at Central Michigan. Months after becoming the head coach at Cincinnati, she had to beat breast cancer again, all while raising three young kids. Her Catholic faith played a big role in Pocky getting through all of that. She opens up about it all and shares some great stories about how her and Brian first started dating and the great work her Kelly Cares Foundation is now doing in Michiana. Here's Focus on Faith with Pocky Kelly. All right, Pocky, I want to start off by asking you about last Friday, uh, senior night for for Kenzel at at St. Joe. I know the season has not gone the way uh, any of you guys would like, but you know, your youngest kid having a senior night, having being able to go on the field, both you and Brian being there. Well, what did last Friday night mean to you guys? I think it's like special, like any other set of parents, you know, that there's your, for me, that's my youngest. And, you know, that's like kind of wrapping up the whole, uh, they're all flying off uh, in their, their world and, and, and developing into great human beings and, and adults. But um, it, it does have like a closure. I guess it's kind of like putting that last kid on the bus as a kindergartner, you know. <laughs> um, but it, it, it really, I'm really proud of those kids on the team because like you said, this season has probably not gone the way they wanted it to. Kendall's walked off that field the last three or four weeks that I'm just waiting for, Ugh, you know, and he's come back and just said, you know what, here's what we did better this time. Really positive. So I'm really proud of the fact that he's pulling that as a, as a life experience because sometimes you just can't control all the factors. Pocky Kelly joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, our focus on faith segment. Was uh, was faith a big component for you growing up in your household? Yeah, very much so. Um, I'm one of we're a Catholic family of six girls. Um, my dad has, has passed away in 09, but you know he was from New York and my mom's from Madrid. So born and raised a Catholic and um, did all the you know sacraments up through marriage and 
I'm living the dream. And, and is that something you've passed on to your kids as something that's been a big part of, of your family now? Yep, very much so. Um, as we've kind of gone through, you know, we've done a few moves in our time. And yeah. uh, with that, sometimes they were in a public school and sometimes they're in a, in a private school. Um, but in the end, really community-based and, and faith-based in terms of um, what's important and what's what's really an expectation or an understanding. And and we've, we're pretty wide open, like we're not a closed box kind of uh, family. And, you know, so it's really easy for them to discuss. Like my, I love the fact that my kids would come home and say, well, what, what about, what do you think of this, mom? And I, you know, they're always the hard questions that you get in religion classes, but you still have to talk about them because I think that's part of their development and kind of reaffirms your own. Pocky Kelly, the wife of Notre Dame football coach, Brian Kelly, joining us. Uh, do you get sick of hearing that like the qualifier on your name you can say it you're in good shape (laughs) (laughs) um you know you guys are obviously very much in the spotlight uh being you know surrounded with Notre Dame football and everything like that but that obviously wasn't always the case what's tell us the love story of Brian and Pocky Kelly how did you guys meet okay so um like I met him actually so I worked in financial aid at Grand Valley State and I was a new hire in, in, two, in 89. I think he'd already been there a couple years. And so because I was a new hire, I was the one who had to come in on Saturday mornings for recruiting. <laughs> but the first time I actually, I think he was um, defensive coordinator, the first time I actually um, saw him speak in, at this recruiting Saturday. And, um, you know, I listened, I'm like, hey, he's, he sounds like he's got a good story here. You know what I mean? And he was just selling the, um, the program there. Um, and then you fast forward a, about a year or so, and then he's the head coach. And um, so we end up, he ends up calling me, or he asked somebody in my office if I was dating anyone. And they came down and said, so-and-so was wondering. And n- not five minutes later, he's rang my phone at my office. So um, that's kind of how the date started, and we've been going since then. You, you guys were married about... 10 years, I think, and all three kids were born, mm-hmm. uh, Patrick, Grayson, Kenzel. Brian's doing great in his coaching career, uh, starting to rise up, yep. and then all of a sudden, boom, breast yep. cancer. Yep. Um, how did you discover it? So um, I actually discovered it by going to my first mammogram, and it really wasn't a considered to be cancer at that time. They just thought it was like an anomaly in terms of, a, you know, we're just going to keep it an eye on it and if it gets bigger we're gonna come back in six months and look at it just to make sure but i didn't wait till six months i'm like telling brian this happened in december and i went in april late april i said i think it's getting bigger so then we checked it out mid may that appointment did a biopsy on it and they said it, the cells came back atypical they just did like a, a, a draw with the cells so rather than worry about it we just did a lumpectomy and said let's just get it out and then we don't have to worry about it so then we did, and then two weeks later, the biopsy from that lumpectomy came back, and then I was a cancer patient. So then the whole, we had to go back for clear the margins from the surgery, and then we started chemo, and then that was over in October, and then we started uh, radiation, which was over the 31st of December. It wasn't that long after that that Brian got the job at Central Michigan, right? It was the next day he announced it. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Like I think my I think if I looked back on the calendar, I think my last um, radiation treatment was the thirty first, and I think he announced like the first or the second of January. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so you know that's all going down. How how difficult was that whole period? Because you also 
are a mother of three pretty young kids. Yeah. I think the hardest part was, um, you know, like we, we had a, a game plan or whatnot. It, it was hard for me to go into work. I was teaching high school chemistry at the time, um, and I really loved it, um, but I didn't feel like I could. I was worried, actually, about getting sick with going through chemo and getting sick, sick, then you have to go to the hospital because you don't have any white blood cell count for a while. And and I wouldn't think it fair to, for my students to be gone back and forth. So I just said, I'm just going to stay down until the treatment's over and come back in the next semester. So that was that plan. So I was really, something that grounded me was, and don't laugh at this, but I tell the story and I can barely keep a straight face. The only thing that was being normal in my life at that time was Brian's schedule, which is not very... That is kind of crazy. It's kind of ridiculous that that was, that was grounding for me. Um, I mean, I, I got to enjoy some good weeks when I wasn't sick during chemo with the kids that I would have, you know, the opportunity I would have missed if I was working. But, um, you know, we went through that whole that whole time, and they actually, that time that I was sick, we won the national championship again. So um, I had a great deal of support from my family and friends. Um, and I was really blessed in the fact that I didn't have any of those auxiliary problems that you have during chemo. So, you know, my one sister goes, I don't feel like we're doing enough. I go, well, pray to God that we're not, because if, if I'm calling you, it's because I'm in the hospital, you know, with a, some kind of infection that I can't fight off. How did uh, your faith help you through that? You know, sometimes you just have to know that there's a reason for it. But I And I look back, and I think I'm pretty open-minded and know that there's a reason, and it's always bigger than our understanding. And you go back in life, and you think, well, you know, like I'm going to give you an example. During this time, a friend of mine was in between jobs, had just um, changed over and was looking for another physician, and she's the one who ends up taking me every Tuesday to chemo. You know what I mean? So those are the things that line up and you think, boy, and I'm sure in her life, you, you isolate her. It's like, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this right now and this is not good for me. I need to get out of this you know, line of work right now. And she did. And then opened up that help to me. So I think God works in all those ways and it overlaps for those reasons. Pocky Kelly joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, our focus on faith segment. All right, so, so you beat cancer mm-hmm. and... But you weren't out of the woods yet because just a few years later, you get a second bout of it. So my actually two years later, so I was an anomaly. You know, there was no genetic or anything knowledge in our family that anyone had any problems. And I'm one of six girls. And the first five are six years apart. So we're a boom, boom, boom Catholic family there. And um, two and a half, not even two years later, my sister who's three years older than me gets breast cancer. Mm. And they decide, before they decide on what treatment she was going to have done, they did a gene test on her. And once they did her, uh, she ended up being a BRCA1. And then for the rest of us, we just send it in, and they bounce it up against her full full scale of uh, testing. No surprise, I was a BRCA1. So now I'm three years out of my first, you know, out of being, uh, about almost three, out of being um, from the first uh, diagnosis. And we did everything we could do except a double mastectomy, you know, to keep my numbers positive. And because, like, my youngest kid, he'd only known me to be, Kenzel only knew me to be sick. You know, he was like one when I was diagnosed the first time. So I'm like, yeah, let's, um, let's see if I can make my five year marker, you know. And sure enough, I made it to four years, nine months, you know, before I was diagnosed with sick, which to me was, as a patient, I know no one wants to get it twice, but the reality is, those numbers are true. I mean, if you're a patient making decisions based on 
the statistics are giving me, they were they were dead on that I would make it. And then my choice to make a, or our choice to get a double mastectomy was really easy because I didn't want to go through chemo again. And again, you you beat cancer the the second time then, and it's not very long after that. Just a few years go by, and, and Brian's now the head coach at Notre Dame. Yep. Um. So, so can you put in perspective just how quickly life was kind of moving at that point? With you know, he was kind of bouncing a yep. little bit. Central Michigan, Cincy, Notre Dame. And then you're battling all of this yep. and three kids right there. Well, you know, it's like, do we get to choose all that? No. <laughs> and, and, you know, but that's like um, waiting to have kids till you can afford them, right? <laughs> it's, it's a great idea, but then we wouldn't have any kids. You know, that's one of those, those things that you just got to go, go, go live life. And um, I don't ever wish any kind of illness or cancer on anybody. Um, but, you know, on the faith end of it, so... If, if, if I wasn't already moved by what was given to me the first time around, the second time around, we literally had moved in over spring break, so early April. And I'm diagnosed the September 4th, which is the first season Brian's at Cincinnati. And we have people that I probably met twice on their staff, and Cincinnati's a little bit bigger than South Bend. So to get around Cincinnati, it's at least a half an hour to where I live, if you're close, just <laughs> just from his work. and. They had people that were driving 45 minutes to drop off food to me and the kids during the season, you know, because the season had started and we really didn't have any um, foothold or any kind of people that we had for, you know, 15 years at Grand Valley when we were there, you know. So that whole, that just shows the outpour of kindness, you know, that we were, that we were blessed to have around us. And it was really, did I worry about it? No, because it, it was there, you know, and I didn't really, you know, we weren't going to get through it again. Pocky Kelly joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. You know, you guys, uh, you stayed out of the spotlight for for a few years, mm-hmm. it felt like, uh, when you guys first got here. And then you you really got the Kelly Cares Foundation yep. going in this community. Um, what took it to the point that, you know, you're like, okay, I feel comfortable really getting this going? Okay, so probably my first hat always is my mom hat. And like Brian and I have always said that, you know, before we had kids and even when I was um, teaching and working full time and he was doing his thing, he was always very good about, you know, I need you to come to this or, or not, you know. And I said, just let me know if I'll, I'll try and rearrange the schedule because I was coaching, I don't know, two or three sports, too, you know. So we just didn't we did see each other in the evenings. Um, with that being said, you know, we were very that's kind of always been the plan all along. And then when we had kids, you know, he's like, we can make this work. I said, you know what, I didn't, we didn't have kids to have other people deal, you know, take, I mean, not that we don't get help with our kids, but, or did, the reality is I just want, didn't want to do the nanny thing and then I'm trying to still do my thing. I just wanted to take the time off and then we got sick and <laughs> so sure. there's all those things line up and they happened for a reason. And then, um, I mean, I went back to work a couple times when we were at Central Michigan. I was working there, taught some classes, worked in the financial aid. And then at Cincinnati, same kind of thing, taking some classes and do more volunteer work, bounty leader, all these funny things that people laugh at because they would never guess me as that. Or (laughs) I was a CCD teacher, you know. So um, anyway, with that going forward, it worked out, you know, in terms of how those things but why did it take a couple of years is because i needed to get the kids settled here and they were tougher ages when we got here you know well i've got a seventh grader fifth grader 
and a first, you know, third grader. It's a little easier to tell kids what to do. <laughs> They're four year old, old six and, and seven. So. Pocky Kelly joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, our Focus on Faith segment. Uh, at the start of the year, Kelly Karras Foundation has contributed more than $5 million to help organizations that align with your mission of health and education. You ever think it was going to get that big? You know, uh, people ask me that. Uh, people ask me initially when we got here, you know, what do you see this going to? And, I, you know, our, our goal wasn't a number, really. It was while we're here and while I have the opportunity to, to make a difference um, and impact people either by educating them or, you know, raising money to help Harper Cancer Institute find a cure for cancer or help. I mean, there's so many services here. I think the other, when you talk about faith, I think God put us here in Michiana because it's one of the most giving areas in the United States per capita or for, per population. and. I, I saw that right away in the first year or two here. It's like, I'm seeing the same people. They continue to help other nonprofits, whether it was at our events or their other people's events. And we were really blessed to, you know, come here and be so warmly accepted and, and, and help us with our passion to help other people. There are a few moments along the way that just stand out for you that are like, that. That's why we have this foundation. You know, I get, if you know, so if you told me I was going to go into, I thought I was going to go back into teaching. I really loved it. Uh, the reality is, um, you know, I would tell people, and I, I would say I was a giving person before, but the amount of love and um, the giving back is, when people say, oh, it'll be tenfold, it really is. And when you see what the letters that we get, all you know and no one's gonna you can't even share half of them because they're so private sure. but the reality is they're never from like if you were gonna write me a letter it's always from your best friend or your family member writing on behalf of them it's like you have no idea how special this person is and writing I'm not kidding two and three and six pages long handwritten letters to explain to me how wonderful this person is and would it be okay would you would be willing to just share they want to share the love that they have for this person and then a little bit of the usually a sorrowful story that goes with it, um, you know. And I, I I write on hats and for people I've never met and may never meet, but if they if they love if someone loves them that much, I can write a hat and a story and a and a, and a, and a card saying, you know, that we're you're on our team here in, in South Bend, and you've got uh, wings over here in South Bend, and we're our Kelly Care team has got you on our prayer list and are thinking of you. Well, I mean, you're a two-time cancer survivor, but you still look a good 20 years younger than your husband at this point because I think that Notre Dame job has, it's like being a president, isn't it? Uh, it, it ages you a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to blame the job. I think it's his Irish skin. And I've got nice Spanish. Half my skin is Spanish. So I think that olive skin really helps, especially. And he's outside all the time. I mean, the, the elements are part of his job, too. Uh, I want to give you a chance to just a word of advice, maybe for women out there to the what they should do. What's the easiest path, and just a reminder that they need to go get checked. Well, I always say, and when I was sharing the story about sending letters to people, I always say, you know, you have to remember that that faith, family, and fun is one of the ways to get through any of any of your roadblocks in life and some of those journeys that have speed bumps. Um, but I would tell them if I hadn't gone in for my you know what my doctor just said to go get a mammogram and hadn't acted on it when I did 
I may not be here to share these stories and to help people and, and hopefully raise money and make a difference in a positive way. That's what we're really trying to do for people that need it the most when they need it the most. And we all can do that. So we can do take our time, treasure, and talents. And we all have some, mine is not cooking. It's here talking to people and sharing my story, which I will continue to do if it motivates people to go get a mammogram and go take care of themselves for a screening, whatever it might be. And know that you are important to somebody and, and it's important for you to take care of yourself. Pocky, thank you very much. Thank you. And it's Pocky Kelly, the wife of the head coach of Notre Dame football, Brian Kelly. And certainly, Remarkable woman, huh? <laughs> uh, absolutely. What, what was some of your takeaways? Um, I, I think obviously the faith component and having her uh, battle through cancer, but also just the the whole fact that she's you know a, a mom first, and I th- thought it was interesting too that she was a teacher and coach as well. Um, yeah, it's just it's kind of neat. Again, that segment gets you gets you behind the scenes, and you just get to see or hear or learn a, a whole different side of people. KellyCaresFoundation.org if you want to learn more about the Kelly Caris Foundation. Uh, they also have the Pocky and Brian Kelly Comprehensive Breast Center at St. Joseph Health System in Mishawaka. Uh, if you need to have a manogram checked or uh, or you know family member that you want to have over there after hearing that story, Pocky was only 36, 37 years old when they discovered the breast cancer. So uh, early and often is is never a bad thing. Um, it, you know, you could tell just firsthand from uh, what Pocky had to say about her own story and, and catching things early. All right, if you like all things Notre Dame, be sure to stay tuned for Church Life today. Coming up right after us, Lenny DiLorenzo, the McGrath Institute for Church Life, is your host. That's next here on Redeemer Radio with replays tonight at 6 and Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Coming up, it's our game day sprint, our keys to the game and predictions as we break down the matchup between Notre Dame and USC. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays returns right after this. Join Bishop Kevin Rhodes, Bishop of Fort Wayne South Bend, every Wednesday at noon for his weekly show, Truth in Charity. On each episode, he joins host Kyle Hyman to discuss key issues facing Catholics in the diocese and beyond. Then he answers questions submitted by listeners. If you would like to submit a question, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Very special. I mean, you think about the tradition, you think about so many amazing games they've played, so many amazing players that have been in the game. And it's just, you know, I'm very grateful to be able to play in a rivalry like this and just, you know, have the opportunity to, like I said, step out there with my brothers and play some football. That is Notre Dame cornerback Troy Pride Jr. Notre Dame has won five of the last seven matchups in the battle with USC. The Trojans lead the all-time series 48-37-5 and five as tonight under the lights in Notre Dame Stadium, the 91st all-time meeting between the Irish and the Trojans. Brian Kelly asked to describe USC's defense. Uh, interesting answer that many would say was Lou Holtz-esque. Probably the the best defense that we've faced uh, from from the USC Trojans, uh, maybe since I've I've been here. I mean, they're they're very good up front, um, and uh, now in, in a four man front, um, you know they can bring pressure. Um, so it, it'll be a great challenge for us. Uh, you know, I think if you ask a USC fan, there would be like, I, in fact, I got a couple of tweets after I tweeted out that quote mm-hmm. and they're like, what? 
If we had the best defense in the past 10 years, we'd be a top 10 team. So I don't I, I mean, not to say they're a bad defense, but I, it might have been stretching a little bit by saying it's the best USC defense it, during the Brian Kelly era. Yeah, a little bit of a stretch, but they do put some pressure on Notre Dame uh, because at every level they have playmakers. So that is going to be tough and there'll be some tough matchups. Christian Rector is uh, one of their star defensive linemen, nine tackles, uh, two for loss, one sack. Um, so, you know, yes, they, they, they got some guys that can get things done, but they still only have five de- defensive starters back from from last year's squad. Uh, I still think there's some opportunities here for Notre Dame to to get the job done offensively against them. Yeah, well, I think the matchup with the offensive line against the big defensive linemen is going to be interesting. And then I think USC has an advantage with the speed at linebacker over, you know, the the wide variety of running backs that we'll throw at them. But, again, the the core offensive line is good. Book is good. Um and then Kmet. I mean, there's we, there's a lot of weapons now that have emerged. All right, we talked about having to stop the USC wide receiver trio of Michael Pittman, Tyler Vaughns, and Amon St. Brown uh, earlier, along with quarterback Keaton Slovens, who is back today. Here's what Brian Kelly is say about USC's passing offense. Large splits. Um, they are keeping pressure on you. It's a very fast tempo. They are keeping pressure on you in in that. Uh, they are looking to push the ball vertically down the field much more than, um, you know, perimeter um, quicks out and run after catch. This is a big play offense. And if you are short in the box, tackle to tackle, they'll run the football. They had over 200 and, I don't know, 230, 40 yards against Washington. Now it didn't materialize in terms of the scores they wanted, but – um, that's where that's where you have to decide how to play them vertically, uh, and then how are you going to play them? Are you going to play them equal numbers in the running game? And if you are, um, you you've got to be able to hold up in terms of getting them off the field. And again, as we said uh, earlier in the show, I think the defensive line getting the pressure um, is going to be huge because they need to they need to drop some guys to to be able to double cover uh, this this great trio of wide receivers. Yeah, the pressure is going to really uh, help with that one on one matchups, and they like to go deep. And again, we got a matchup issue with the linebacker on number seven, the running back for USC. He's really good, explosive. Oh. All right, what worries you most if you're Brian Kelly? Uh, I would say the USC's wide receivers. And yeah. again, it have to be team defense to beat them. Yeah, I, I would agree. What worries you most if you're Clay Helton? Uh, it would come back to that end Notre Dame defensive line. But I think that one area, if I'm him, that I'm excited. Maybe special teams we can take advantage because we got a lot of athletes out there to turn the tide. All right, what's your, uh, what's your prediction for tonight? Notre Dame 31, USC 24. Well, we oh, so you got a seven-point game. Uh, I'm going to go with Notre Dame 30, USC 20. Uh, I think we're probably both in the same vein that maybe, at least I am, Notre Dame's in control, but they're never quite... USC's never quite out of it, and you're just waiting for that last it's thing. It's a rivalry. They're yeah. gonna, we're going to get their best game, even if it's a little chilly for those Southern California boys. Uh, 36 degrees right now. Uh, game time temperature in the high 40s, so um, USC could be in trouble in terms of that. All right, that'll do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where Bank does matter. Thanks to our audio operator today, Joe Andert. 
For my broadcast partner, Kevin Downey, I'm Angel DiCarlo. Notre Dame and USC for the 91st time tonight at 7.36 p.m. You can watch locally on WNDU. I'll have updates throughout the day on social media accounts, so give us a follow. And, of course, we'll be back with you next Saturday at 9 a.m. here on Redeemer Radio 95.7. We close our show the same way the Irish will close their pregame with a prayer from one of the Irish team chaplains. This is Father Mark Thiesing, chaplain for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Lady of Victory, pray for us. Go Irish! This has been a presentation of Redeemer Radio Sports. Thanks for joining us for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Enjoy today's game. Imagine a world with no poverty, a world where everyone has food to eat, clothes to wear, and is able to make rent each month. The St. Vincent de Paul Society is working towards that goal. We are committed to ending poverty by serving our community one neighbor at a time. We have seen the power one person can have on those we serve. Join us in the fight against poverty. Visit svdpsb.org or call 234-6000 for more information. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.